Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. thinking about a story of protection this morning, and uh, I won't speak for you, but I feel like I need a little protection. Like there's an awful lot of stuff going on that is uh, just kind of crazy and chaotic, and I'm not sure exactly how to handle it. I don't know which things to pray for or against, or evidently some of you do. Just let that lay right there. (laughs) And so I just stopped to think a little bit about what it means for us to live in this time. And it's really unprecedented. And by the way, it's kind of fun now coming to church because it's like we have new people, even though you're old people. Look, (laughs) haven't seen you in a while, but I'm glad you made it. And thank you. And I think we'll continue to see folks uh, come out and brave this process and whatever that looks like and with new variants and all kinds of stuff happening. Who knows? We need protection. Amen? Amen. And you heard a minute ago about Vacation Bible School and Arts Camp. A year ago, we were doing virtual things. Now we're going to meet in person, and we need prayer for that. Because I don't know if you've observed this, but not everyone agrees on stuff. And yet we are called to become all things to all people. We're called to do our very best to protect those who feel the need for protection and to uh, celebrate when we don't feel like we're under, uh, locked into a process anymore. So we're trying to figure all that out. So I'm trusting you will really pray for us in that process. And I'm just reminding you this morning that your story is not the story. My story is not the story. Our story is not the story. There's a bigger story going on. It's not that our stories don't matter. Our stories do matter. It matters where you come from. It matters what's happening to you. It matters what's going on in your home with your family. It matters. It matters to God. But it's not the only story. And I know this. Sometimes when we apply the blessing and the presence of God to our story, we need a bigger story for it to make any sense. Or is that just me? I don't know if you ever get in that space where you go, well, I know God promised, but I'm not seeing how it's all working out. I'm not seeing how it's all fitting together. I'm not seeing how to connect all the dots. So we're going to think about a few people this morning and the stories of which they are a part. Hezekiah came to power in 728 BCE, if you're keeping track. I know you love the ancient history. And, and immediately when I say that date, when you think about, you know, that period of time, you know what's going on. You know that the southern and the northern kingdom have divided. And Hezekiah comes to power. And, and he's a reformer. He, he's, a, he's a God-fearing king. He's one of the good guys. He's one of the guys that comes to power, and he rules in the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. And so he begins this great process of reform. He reforms the temple, he reforms the priesthood, he reforms the ritual, he, he pulls out the Levitical law, he rereads it, he gets everybody on the same page, he rallies the people. 
And then he reaches out to the northern kingdom and he says, by Levitical law, we ought to all be one. We ought to all be together. We should put away the divisiveness. We should put away what has happened. And we should come back together. And as he attempts to do that, this great thing happens, this huge event, this cataclysmic event in history. The Assyrian army under Sardon II marches on the northern kingdom. And since you are so deeply versed in your Old Testament history, you know <laughs> that in 722 BCE, the northern kingdom falls. And so all of that effort and all of that energy and all of that potential is lost. And the northern kingdom falls. And now we enter into this period of time where in order to preserve the southern kingdom, Sennacherib agrees to pay a tribute to Sargon. He agrees that he will pay the tribute and, and keep the great Assyrian army at bay. And so the Assyrian army goes back and they live in relative peace until just a few years later in about 705. And in 705, Sargon dies and his son Sennacherib comes to power. Well, everyone that has been under the oppression and paying tribute to Assyria for all of these decades now says, here's the perfect opportunity. Uh, the great powerful emperor is gone and now his son Sennacherib has taken over and he's not nearly the leader. And so we're going to stop paying tribute. And so uh, all across that great Assyrian kingdom, they stop paying tribute. And so Sennacherib now has to prove his mettle. And so he begins in the east to now subdue again all of those countries that had been subdued by his father before him. By 701, he has subdued all of the eastern part and he has turned his attention to the west and he is now preparing to march on the southern kingdom, specifically preparing to lay siege to the city of Jerusalem. We're told in the Old Testament that now Hezekiah begins to prepare the city for the siege. He, he builds up the walls. He put towers in the walls. He, he uh, stockpiles weapons. He, he figures out, you know, strategies. He's working to get the kingdom ready to protect the southern kingdom from the reign of Assyria. And we're told that in that period of time, he recognizes, along with his leaders, his military leaders, that the greatest need they will face is water. That when the siege is laid on the city of Jerusalem, they'll have a hard time having water. And so he starts one of the most daring civil engineering processes ever in the ancient world. He digs a tunnel 1,777 feet long through solid rock to bring the spring at Guyon into the pool of Siloam. And so for the next few years, they work and dig until in 701, when finally uh, Sennacherib arrives and begins to lay siege to the city. Now, if you go to Jerusalem today, you, you can put on your waders and you can wade through Hezekiah's tunnel. And, and just a few decades ago, when the tunnel was discovered, they found a plaque in the middle of the tunnel. It's some of the oldest Hebrew writing we have on record. And it was placed there at the dedication and we are told by scholars that the dedication ceremony with the Assyrian army marching forward, about to lay siege to the city. In fact, why don't we pick up the story from the Bible? By the way, I ran off and left my Bible at uh, Pasadena this morning. I got over here and said, you know, I'm going to preach a sermon. I'll just, just do it with no notes. And then I thought, I can't put people through that. That would be terrible. So I printed new notes, and I have another Bible, but clearly there's an issue. <laughs> it's just not nearly as neat and clean, is it? 
So listen to this, 2 Kings 20.20. As far as the other events of Hezekiah's reign, all his achievements and how he made the pool and the tunnel by which he brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? I share that with you because I just think we read these Old Testament stories and we forget there's a whole history and story behind them and we read little things like that and we go, yeah, whatever, tunnel, blah, blah, blah. 2 Chronicles 32, 3 and 4. The second thing he did, he didn't just dig a tunnel, but he also had people gather along with his military leaders, and he had them block off all the old springs so that the Assyrian army would not have access to water, Second Chronicles 32, 3. He consulted with his officials and military staff about blocking off the water from the springs outside the city, and they helped him, and they gathered a large group of people who blocked all the springs and the streams that flowed through the land. Why should the kings of Assyria come and find plenty of water, they said. And so as he dedicates the temple, he writes this dedication hymn, God is our refuge and strength. And ever-present help in times of trouble, therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains are cast to the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and surge, and the mountains shake with their surging. There is a city, whose, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolation he brings. He causes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the spear and shatters the sword, melts the shield with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Listen, he didn't write this at the end of the battle. He wrote it at the beginning of the battle. He wrote it when the outcome was still in doubt. He wrote it when it was still uncertain. He wrote it when the need for protection was so incredibly deep. And I don't know about you, but I find myself in need of protection more today than I ever have in my whole life. Just because I just don't, it's just, I don't know. You know how it is when you kind of know who your people are? Do you know who your people are now? It's harder to tell. It's harder to discern. It's harder to know who's right and who's wrong. It's harder to know all the nuances. It's harder to find ways in which we gather together instead of breaking apart. But we ought to. The call is still to love each other. The call is still to esteem each other. The call is still to love others and to think of others more than we think of ourselves. We need protection in our journey. And I'm guessing that on a day like this, at a time like this, on a journey like this, there's a whole lot of things that you are thinking about for which you need protection. Maybe it's a health thing. Maybe it's a family thing. Maybe it's a job thing. Maybe it's a political thing. It seems to me that our culture today is driven more by fear than at almost any other time I can remember. Certainly in my life, people are afraid. Afraid, afraid of the wrong thing happening, afraid of politics, afraid of the pandemic, afraid of the vaccine, afraid, 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 afraid. Maslow was a great psychologist. I don't know how many of you have studied Maslow's hierarchy of need. Anybody? 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 Good. Say, oh, wow. I'll have to be careful what I say. <laughs> it's always nice when people know. It's nicer when they don't know, but... <laughs> 
So it turns out Maslow's hierarchy of need, he tells us that human beings have certain basic needs woven into their DNA, and it doesn't matter where you go, it doesn't matter what culture you visit, there are certain basic needs that are true about human beings. And he divides them very neatly. In fact, if you've looked at how he displays that, it's usually displayed in a pyramid. The base of the pyramid has the most basic needs working its way up. And surprisingly, they're not like tons and tons of them. It's like not that many things. And so when you start to think about the hierarchy of need, what we find out is down at the bottom are the basic needs. And the first layer of needs just have to do with the fact that we need to have basic warmth, rest, shelter. Uh, that's the first thing. And, and what we're told by Maslow is that people don't think about much else if they don't have that. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you don't have a place that's safe and warm and dry, uh, then that's probably the most. And to, to be fed, that's in there too. Food, 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 food <laughs> is in there. You won't worry about much else until you get that little piece of your life fixed. I think it's interesting, you know, when I study this and read this, I think, wow, for most of us, we are way up the pyramid. We are way up the pyramid. The second layer of that then uh, gets into more uh, of the sense of having a place to belong, that uh, we need a place of security, that that in fact right above the need for food and shelter is a need to be safe. It's very fundamental. So that when our need to feel safe is threatened, a lot of other things in the world go away. We don't worry about much else. And down here in the basic needs, we move then from what we call the physiological needs into the psychological, still down in the need base. Uh, the next layer we get to is the need to belong, the need to be loved, to be connected to human beings, to have friendship and relationship with each other. We need it. You understand how fundamental we are? You understand where we are? We need shelter. We need to be safe. We need to be loved. And we're told that the longer you go without these things, the more acute they become. We know that to be true. The longer you go without eating, the hungrier you become. The longer you go without a sense of security, the more damaged you become in your psychological, physical makeup. The, the longer you go without connected relationship, the more acute the loneliness becomes. It builds and builds and builds and builds. Above that, we get into the need for esteem. That, that's where we want to have prestige and accomplishment. Now, I just want to remind you, we're still down in the level of the basic needs. That human beings don't think about much else until these things are done. And the longer we go without it, the more acute the need becomes. And then something weird happens to us. We move from the basic needs to the growth needs. And what happens when we move into the growth needs is, is, is that's that big category, the last category in the pyramid is self-actualization. I need to figure out who I am and what I'm about and what I mean. Now, here's the weird part. When we're in the basic needs, once we meet them, we move on. When we're in the growth need, the more we get, the more we want. We never get satisfied in the growth phase. In the basic phase, we keep moving up the pyramid, but once we get up to the top of the pyramid, we live in constant state of needing more. I don't know about you, but it's a little convicting to me. Because I think in so many ways, we in the Western world, particularly in this country, we blast through the first four. Doesn't mean all our relationships are healthy, but we have food and shelter and, and we have a, a relative <laughs> kind of safety and security. And if you don't think so, go travel the world. I mean, there are lots of places in the world today that I would say, I ain't getting off the plane. I have traveled the world and gotten my ticket and said, we're stopping where? Well, you don't have to leave the airport. I don't care. 
<laughs> I don't want to go there. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be in that space. Anything could happen. You know? Yeah. And so that reality, we kind of breeze through the first four and we get into that last one of self-actualization. And most of us, that we spend an enormous amount of our energy trying to become self-actualized, figure out what we're about. And when we accomplish something, we need a little more and a little more and a little more and a little more and a little more. And I share that whole thing with you to say this. The need for protection is a very basic part. And in this last year, it really has been stripped away from us in such a huge way. And then we wonder, why are we struggling? Why? I don't get it. I, I don't know why I'm so, I don't know why I get, I don't know why I've got mental fog and I did that and I got, and I don't want to leave the house anymore. And I, I, I mean, some of you have taken a giant leap of faith to be here today. Thank you. Because after you've been sedentary, after you've sat in space, have been isolated for a while, you're like, I don't know. I have found that my sense of security got wrecked in a way. And I don't feel okay anymore. I'm way back there at a place that's very primary. I haven't felt these feelings in a long time. So it becomes a part of the story. The biblical story has always been trying to convince people to live outside of their own time and space and own circumstances and to think about the security and the power of God and what it means to speak into our stories. Listen to this, Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Some of us need to speak that into some circumstances in our lives. We need to recognize that this ancient truth that belonged to the people of Israel in a time and a specific set of circumstances belongs to us too. It's a part of our story. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. I don't know, how often do you shut down your brain? I mean, quiet yourself. I love that part of the 46th Psalm. Don't you know Hezekiah was talking to himself? (laughs) I mean, don't you know he's... He makes wars to cease. He shatters the sword. He melts the shields with fire. Be still. (sighs) Know that I am God. Don't you think he's talking to himself? Don't you think in the middle of all of that he's saying, I better be quiet. I better quiet my heart and my mind because my brain is racing. I'm saying these words out loud, but my brain is racing a thousand miles an hour. It's fighting every battle on every front right now. I wonder how many of us are able to sit in space where we quiet our hearts and we quiet our minds, where we really are able to be still and know that he is God and how deeply we need it, how deeply we need that quiet space where God can speak peace into our hearts, something deeper, bigger, much, much deeper, much, much longer in history than our current circumstances. Psalms 32, 7, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Ephesians 6, 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. On October 31st, 1517, a little friar by the name of Martin Luther made his way to the door of the little church in Wittenberg. And he had 95 questions to present to the hierarchy of the church. 
The church door in that day and age served as the community bulletin board. It wasn't sort of an act of defiance. He was just posting a notice. I mean, if you were having a garage sale, you, you, you would have put it in the same place. Take your time. <laughs> and so his questions were deep and varied. The things he was mostly concerned about was that, that the laity largely didn't know what was going on. They didn't understand the Word of God, and therefore they didn't know how to hold the priests and the clergy accountable to the Word. The Mass was spoken in Latin, so even the common language in which they trafficked wasn't understood. That there was no way for them to interact with what was happening. Most couldn't read or write, so, so therefore, even if they could, the Scriptures were only contained either in Latin or the original languages of Hebrew and Greek. So the average person, even if they could read and write, didn't have the scripture in their own languages. Two decades, two centuries earlier, Wycliffe had tried to translate the scripture uh, into common languages, and, and he was labeled a heretic and died as a martyr. A hundred years earlier, John Huss had fought the battle of bringing the word of God to the laity and the clergy, and he also had suffered for his beliefs. And now Luther brings these 95 questions. They, they revolved around several things at the core. They, the church had kind of gotten into a mode in which you paid for sin, literally. So you confessed your sin, and then the priest said, that's going to cost you a little. Or, that's going to cost you a lot. Here's your penance. You need to say, you know, these Hail Marys, you need to do this, and then you need to pay the church a certain amount of money, and then you'll be forgiven for your sins. That's an awesome plan. But evidently, you know, at the time, there wasn't a lot of money coming in, not enough money coming in, and so the church came up with a brilliant idea. And this is what they decided to do. Evidently, people weren't sinning enough to keep the bills paid. <laughs> so they decided to sell what they called indulgences. You could buy and pay for sins in advance. I mean, wouldn't you like to have a couple of those get-out-of-jail-free cards in your wallet? And so there was a young group of priests, and they were talking among themselves, going, this don't seem right to me. I, I mean, I know about inerrancy, and I know about the councils, and I know about how the law is written, and I know about church structure, but this don't seem right to me. And I don't think enough people know the Word to even interact with what's going on. It's probably going to be up to us to ask good questions. And so he asks 95 of them. And he nails them to the church door, unknowingly launching what would become the great reformation of the church. Subsequently, 1519, there is a papal bull, a declaration, claim basically saying that he's a heretic and he deserves to die. He's condemned to death. He is given a trial. The trial takes place in 1521. And when he arrives at the run, known as the Diet of Varms, he arrives there, there's a great debate. And in it, he is invited to recant of all the things he has said and done against the church. And he gives us this immortal speech that has been handed down to us. Unless I can be instructed and convinced with evidence from the Holy Scripture or with open, clear, and distinct grounds and reasoning, my conscience is captive to the Word of God, then I cannot 
recant because it is neither safe nor wise to act against conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. So help me, God. And with that statement, he is condemned to death. As he leaves, he is kidnapped. We find out later that it is Frederick, the protector of Germany, who takes him, and he takes him to his castle. And for the next few years, he holds him in the castle, keeping him safe from uh, uh, Catholicism and all of the things that would happen to him. And during that time, he, he undertakes several projects. The first thing he decides to do is he will translate the entire New Testament into the common language, into German. And so he does. It takes a couple of years to translate the New Testament. And when he's finished, he starts on the Old Testament. By 1526, he has translated the entire Bible into German. And we're told now that somewhere between 1525 and 1529, as he is held safe in the castle of Frederick the Protector, he begins to pin the words, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. And I don't know about you, but it seems to me that the words matter this morning. That it's not just our story, that we're a part of a much bigger story. That in fact, that as we think about what it looks like and what it means to be in your story and what's happening to you right now, maybe you need to hear these words again. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age, the same. And he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. I don't know if you have a connection to history and the story, but for me, when I sit in the space and I think about the story and I'm invited to sing the very words that Luther wrote as he lived out in a time when he needed great protection, when, when everything was at stake, his very life was at stake. But more than that, what was at stake was the truth of God and the freedom of individuals to be forgiven for their sin and, and set free from, from, from their brokenness and from their da the damage and the trauma that had been done in their lives. And thank God for courageous people who through history have said, I don't care what happens to me. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to be a part of something that's bigger than my story and bigger than my time to walk on this planet. Just a few years ago, March 2020, you might remember that some stuff was going on. In fact, I re was reflecting in February 2020, I uh, was at a conference in Florida. And I remember going to the conference and we didn't really know how to act. 
we were still kind of going, well, are we supposed to, you know, there's some virus thing going on. Are we supposed to, you know, are we, we didn't have masks yet, but we were, you know, already trying to decide if we should hug or, you know, shake hands or any of that stuff. And so just at the beginning of March 2020, we're told that a group of songwriters got together and they were thinking about just some simple stuff. And they landed on a passage of scripture in Numbers chapter 6, and they read it together as they were thinking about writing and thinking about sharing. And these are the words, number 622. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. Chris Brown, who was a part of writing that song, writes these words. We weren't intentionally trying to write a song that centered on a priestly blessing that's found in the Old Testament. But within two weeks of meeting together and starting to pen these words, the pandemic was a reality, and so... To be honest, it's kind of hard for me not to think that God had just lined that song's timing up for exactly when people needed to hear it. The whole message of the song is to flood people's life with encouragement and protection. We're going to close and we're going to sing the words again. And this is what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to just sit. I don't want you to stand or... Because I think sometimes we need to be still and know that he's God. And these are ancient words that Aaron and the priests spoke over the children of Israel. They date back to the creedal beginnings of the Judeo-Christian tradition. <laughs> and some things never, ever change. The need for protection and the need for blessing. My prayer as you hear it is that you'll gather up whatever you feel like needs to be laid at the feet of Jesus this morning. But you'll think about it. What makes you anxious? What makes you angry? What makes you overwhelmed? And that you'll just open up your heart. You'll open up. Maybe you want to stand, you know, open your hands up and receive. Whatever you need to get your brain to catch up with your soul, to allow yourself to be still and just receive the blessing. I want you to sit in that space and celebrate that this story is a story of protection. God, will you help us? As we come to these closing moments and we sing these powerful words that are ancient, ancient words. Not really too many new ones. Not really lots of new thoughts. Not a lot of words to navigate through. Just a blessing. A blessing that's been true for generations and generations and generations. A blessing that gets down into the places where we live and walk. Into our health issues. and Into our financial need, into our relational needs, into the truth about who we are and our need for forgiveness. Gets into generational blessing, not just us now, but our kids and our kids' kids and the future and what it will look like. And it's a reminder that in all of the history of our lives, you've been weaving together your story and you are still in control. 
May we rest in these words and receive this blessing. Would you do work in each life as is needed? Would you apportion grace to each person in the room, online, who will watch through the week ahead? And would you speak the blessing into their hearts and minds and lives, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. Let's receive together. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.